Always honest, often blunt, and never afraid, this is The Narrative. I'm Center for Christian Virtue President Aaron Baer, and my co-host is our Policy Director David Mahan. In this episode of The Narrative, we're talking about the relationship between race and law enforcement. Uh, We have a special guest, Larry Wilson, a retired police officer here in the city of Columbus. Uh, But first, let's talk about what's going on. And actually, first, I got to say, I'm feeling a little bit, I know last episode I was sounding a little bit uh, uh, drowsy, a little bit under the weather. David said I looked a little dead, uh, but that's why we that's why we don't uh, have video with this thing. It's it just rough, audio. <laughs> but uh, but I'm I'm feeling back to back to the land of the living uh, and back at it again. Um, but but really the first one uh, we want to talk about, and this actually uh, broke last week uh, after after we recorded. Um, but it was the uh, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision uh, on something to not do, uh, which was to not take up. Uh, the Baronel Stutzman case out of Washington, uh, and this is this is massive. This is frustrating. Um, this is, you know, I, I think I sent to our policy team my little rant on uh, my my lack of appreciation for our judiciary at times, especially our Supreme Court that uh, often uh, just thinks that all of America and all of life should be put on hold while they decide how now shall this nation live. Um, but for those of you who don't know the, the Baronel Stutzman case, this is the case of the, uh, the grandmother in Washington State who's owned a flower business for a number of years, has served everyone that walked in her door, and she had uh, actually a, a gay client, a gay friend of hers, come in and ask her to make, uh, to arrange flowers for his wedding. And uh, Baronel uh, declined. I've had the pleasure of meeting Baronel a number of times. Sweetest woman you could ever meet. Uh, she declined, you know, she, the way she tells the story even too, like they hugged, he, he said, I completely understand. He, his partner, I think, went home and posted on Facebook that, that they were denied service and the Washington State Attorney General went and uh, then filed, you know, discrimination claims against Baronell. Um, and uh, and this, her case has been in the courts for literally the last 10 years and she faces losing her business. She faced losing her business and millions of dollars in attorney's fees. Uh, because of this, and um, you know, this, the case has gotten up to the Supreme Court before. They've uh, remanded it down to lower courts because of other decisions, and Baronell has lost all along the way. Again, she ref- she served everybody. She just didn't want to make flowers for a same-sex wedding. Um, and case went up to the Supreme Court. We have this, you know, allegedly conservative majority on there, six-three, um, and uh, and the the court decided to not take up her case to not right this wrong. Um, and and honestly, David, from my perspective, this is just, it's so, uh, incredibly infuriating because, um, you know, this is what we've been working for, you know, for me, the word that comes to mind is frustrating, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's what I'm hearing from a lot of pastors is, you know, is there any hope, you know, and, and I've, and I've been telling them and we felt like this for a long time, there's going to come a time where we're going to have to make some stances that aren't popular. You know, I think in this country for a long time, we've been able to just kind of go with the flow um, you know, we, we would probably voice our differences within the four walls of our homes or our churches. But I think now uh, we're going to have to live out our, our worldview, live out our faith uh, in the public realm. And it's not going to be able to be hidden anymore. Uh, I don't know if we could rely on the courts. Like you said, how then shall we live? That's not going to work anymore. And it, that leads me to a question. If, if you knew uh, Baronelle, um, did she mention, has she had support from the local community or, or do you know? Or? Yeah, no, I, I think for, for both Baronelle and, you know, the, the other case, a lot of folks are familiar with Jack Phillips, uh, the, the yeah. Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, owner out of Colorado, whose case has gone to the Supreme Court uh, before. Um, you know, 
they, they've had a lot of folks come around them. I know a lot of folks are, are you know, we're started patronizing their business through this and, and, and give financial support and those types of okay. things, which is, which is good to see that, that coming around them. But I, but I, what I think to your point, David, um, is, you know, the, getting the church ready, getting Christians ready, you know, really building out a theology of, of suffering, uh, and, and a theology of, of persecution, uh, and being willing to, I, I hate to say it, uh, but but risk it all uh, for for not just what we believe in, but for what is true for 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 Christ. Right. And and I, I think for a lot of Christians, we've just never had to think that way. Right. You know, I think that we're about to vote with our wallets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it, it's it's com- nothing is going to work except for just you know complete bowing the knee. Yep. to every cultural whim that comes down the pike. And, um, and and at some point, legislators need to know, all elected officials need to load down to the uh, you know school board um, yep. that, listen, we are going to vote with our wallets and we're going to vote at the ballot box. And um, you need to support uh, our best interests and, and not just uh, the corporations. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think, you know, I think that's one of those things, too, you know, for, for folks who've Wondering how did this happen? This happened because the state of Washington has a sexual orientation, gender identity law. They've passed the equivalent of what a lot of folks know as the Equality Act that's in Washington D.C. Uh, and and again, what's what's important about this? What folks don't get their minds wrapped around on this case is they think, oh, Baronell wanted to discriminate against LGBT people. That's not what's happening. Just like in Jack's case, right. he served everybody. Yeah, but they this in this case. They wanted uh, Baronelle to be a part of a religious ceremony that violated her conscience. Yeah, you know, that, and and that would be as as wrong as as going to a Muslim uh, florist and asking them to make uh, arrange uh, uh, poinsettias for your Christmas service. You know, and then saying, "Look, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. That, and I don't want to be there for that." Right. And that's a, again, broadly speaking, we used to identify that's that's a part of what it means to live in our country is you're you're free to do what you want and not and you're not free to force somebody else to do something they don't want so if they wanted to buy 300 flowers would they have been sold 300 roses they would have been sold 300 roses they would have been sold yeah you know, again like the 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 individuals uh well in, in baronelle's case she'd served this guy for years right. and had no problem serving him and they were friends mm-hmm. um this was just a religious ceremony that she had a a, a, a disagreement with and didn't want to be a part of and for some reason, that's not enough anymore. That's right. Yeah. So ne- next one uh, we want to jump to uh, is, is actually one, uh, you know, we, we, we've been talking a lot about, especially in this volume on race here on the narrative, uh, we've been talking a lot about critical race theory. And, and the one of the phrases uh, from, from two episodes uh, that, that really jumped out to me with our conversation with, with Ian Rowe, uh, which if you haven't listened to that one, you got to go back and, and listen to Ian's episode. Um, he, he talked about when we're fighting critical race theory, he'd say it's kind of like shadow boxing um, because, you know, they, what, what the, the public school advocates and what the media always come back to is, says, oh, you know, they're not teaching critical race theory. Oh, they're not, you know, um, th- th- this isn't happening in schools and, and uh, that, you know, th- that's not. And, and, you know, David, you always experience that in the schools, right? Ask you to give a definition and then when yeah. you give a, a well-rounded definition from someone that, you know, is at the forefront of this, it changes. Oh, that's not really what it is. Right. And, and it's it's more of a world view. You right. Know? And I always say it this way. If, if I'm if I'm as a Christian, if I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to evangelize, you know, what uh, what curriculum do you ban? You know, you, you'd ban the Bible. Right. But it's in me. It's a worldview. It's a philosophy. It's it's a way of life. And really, the only way to ban it is to ban me. And that's what critical race theory does. 
is it wants to ban or silence the entire group of people. Uh, and, and even if, uh, you know, you have something that you want to say that might be a valuable, you know, that might be a value to the conversation that gets squelched, squelched and canceled. So it changes anytime it wants to change. It's, it's amorphous. And I think uh, Ian Rowe did a really good job of breaking that down. And the thing I valued about him, and I think this is why we had him on, is that he wasn't just coming from an academician uh, standpoint, a scholar standpoint. He's a practitioner. He's a practitioner. He's, he, you know, so, so Ian, you don't, um, you don't think that disparities exist you know, in, in America. No, I, I do. And, and matter of fact, the proof that he does is that he's created five schools right, yeah. to not just, you know, teach critical race theory, but he's also helping them to overcome and kick down these barriers. Right. And all of his inner city Brooklyn kids yeah. are, are, are succeeding. Yeah. I mean, how many out of on the waiting list? Like, like oh, thousands? Yeah, 10,000. He said crazy. Like yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's what I appreciate about that. Yeah. Uh, so, brother. so, so, you know, you, you have this whole conversation where where the media and a lot of the, the public school teachers unions are 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 denying the critical race theory is being taught. But then uh, this just happened uh, literally last week. The National Education Association, so the largest teachers union uh, in the country, has teachers in all 14,000 um, school districts uh, all, all over the country. Um, they, they passed a resolution. Uh, and and it, it says, that, you know, at the annual assembly meeting, they, they, they passed this resolution that said, um, they would spread information about critical race theory, what it is and what it is not, and have a team of staffers for teachers union members who want to learn more and fight back against anti-CRT rhetoric. So, so literally, they passed a, the, the largest teachers union with that represents the teachers in every fourteen thousand public school districts in the state, uh, in the nation, uh, said they were going to be teaching critical race theory in the school. And what's hilarious about this is the same time they passed this resolution. Uh, the 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 president of the NEA put out a resolution, put out a, a, an op-ed that said we're not teaching NEA, we're not yeah. teaching CRT, and and so so again, this is one of those things where they're saying one thing and they're doing another, um, and and this again for for parents, honestly, you have to be outright blind at this point or or uh, wanting to just deny the realities if you don't realize that this is happening in every school. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even really care if we ban it. I, I'm, I'm with Ian. Let's amplify. Let's, <laughs> let's amplify. This stuff is crazy. Yeah. It's flat out crazy. Um, it is defeatist, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we're, you know, to the, the number one demographic that needs to be lifted up and built up and encouraged. And you can do this thing. Um, you can overcome obstacles. I, I love, you know. When I'm in inner city schools, there's a resilience in those young people that a lot of other demographics don't have. You know, you would think that the suicide rate would be higher there than in some of our suburban communities. And it's not. Uh, it's higher in the suburban communities than the inner city communities. You know, they can do it. They can achieve and, and uh, uh, you know, jump over all of these obstacles. And the fact that we've got folks that look like them telling them that they're victims, that they can't achieve that there's always somebody that's gonna hold them down and push them down even when they start doing well. Uh, it's just a defeatist atti attitude that uh, that I feel like we should all be outraged about and more of us need to be speaking up about. Yeah, no, well, and, and I mean, now, now we're gonna go down a huge rabbit trail and get into a lot of trouble with this one, but you just mentioned the suicide rate thing and that's such a, a great example of, um, we, we hear a lot about the, the suicide rate uh, in, uh, in LGBT students. Um, and you know the, the the suicide rate for transgender students, especially, is so high. This is one of the reasons why you'll hear them say, "Oh, we need to be doing this affirming curriculum and things like that." Literally, if you don't, your child will die. You're gonna exactly. We have parents that have yeah. said that. Yeah, they, they'll say, you know, if your kid wants to transition, is your daughter wants to transition, they'll say, "Well, do you want an alive son or a dead daughter?" Right. Literally, that's what they say in a lot of these gender clinics. 
Um, and one of the best things I ever heard back uh, to that response, and, and uh, Ryan, I think it was Ryan T. Anderson at the uh, Ethics and Public Policy Center said this, uh, pointed out that you know we've never seen the suicide rates, um, these types of suicide rates that you see amongst transgender individuals uh, throughout history, like even you know African Americans who were enslaved didn't commit suicide right. at this level. Jews in the in in the in in Germany and in Europe during the the Holocaust didn't have suicide rates this high. Now all of a sudden you you see this suicide rate with transgender individuals and the idea that it is the persecution right. that leads to that level the lack of, of affirmation, the lack of affirmation, yeah. the lack of support that leads to the suicide is is just not true. Actually, and what you see happening is you see a celebration. Uh, amongst many folks, that's that, right. uh, amongst this community, especially of suicide as a, yeah, as a good the option. civil rights movement didn't benefit from PNC Bank and Chase and the <laughs> Rockefellers supporting and backing what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah anyway. Uh, yeah. No, anyway, so we, we we went a little far afield there, but like, you get you get the idea. <laughs> anyway, um, get your kids. All right, exactly. Get your kids. Yeah, that's right. School get, get, yeah, school choice, backpack bill, all that good stuff. Um, uh, so last uh, last up, this one was uh, one of these ones that that actually we just had a, again for those of you who uh, live in Ohio, we just passed our state budget. We got a lot of great stuff in there. We we talked about that, um, but one of the last things uh, that that really popped out that we wanted to talk about um, is the election integrity issue. This is something that a lot of folks have been really uh, concerned about. A lot of folks have been tuning in with um, and wanting to ensure that our elections are safe and secure. And I got to say. There's been a lot of stuff read, uh, said and written about election integrity. Um, a lot of it, I, you know, from my friends and connections in Arizona to just here in Ohio, um, a lot of the stuff that I've seen written about it, I've not been so sure about the truckloads of ballots being driven around, all that kind of stuff. I, I've not seen any real evidence of that, but that doesn't mean there wasn't election integrity issues that happened in this last election um, and that aren't really concern, concerning for the future of our elections. And one of the biggest things uh, that uh, we saw uh, here in Ohio and that happened all over the, the nation was uh, Mark Zuckerberg um, poured tens of millions, really hundreds of millions all over, but in Ohio, tens of millions of dollars uh, into our elections by giving grants to election officials uh, to help with the promotion and administration of elections and do targeted voter turnout um, on behalf of the state. Uh, so in our state budget that we we just had passed here and signed into law, we had a prohibit prohibition on state and local election officials from accepting these private dollars. Um, now that is so important uh, for election integrity uh, because you know really at the end of the day, um, if if election officials are dependent upon outside dollars to do you know different programming, different promotions, and they're doing targeted election turnout in certain neighborhoods that tend to vote one way or another. That really does undermine the importance of elections. And, you know, David, this is one of those things. Election integrity is one of those things that uh, when when folks start to question uh, the, the 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 validity and the outcomes of our elections, the whole system falls down, you know? Yeah, I think confidence is the biggest. It's like with the economy, you know, confidence yeah. is, the, is what's going to drive voter turnout. You mm -hmm. know, confidence is what's going to drive people going to buy a car uh, yeah. or, or buy a home. And, and I think that's where we got to. But when you know when you have folks that are outside dumping in money and just controlling, you know what's going on. I think that's why we we stop really uh, trusting the um, the election process as a whole. You know, just trusting politicians as a whole. Uh, you know, when you can cancel somebody's voice because they're saying what you don't want them to say. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. 
we already have a confidence issue in this yeah. country, and I, and I think we can we can do without billions of dollars being dumped in from folks that aren't from our state. Right, and and this is one of those things where you know from from CCB standpoint, we do you know Center for Christian Virtue and a lot of our friends all over the country. We do voter education. We do get out the vote efforts, voter registration. Churches do voter registration all the time. This doesn't what we put in the budget doesn't stop. Yeah, you uh, want this every happening. voice heard, yeah. every vote counted. Exactly. But what this what this says is that this can't come from the state or county election officials. It's one thing when it says, "Look, this is coming from CCV. This is what we stand for. This is who we are. This is why we think you should vote." It's another thing when that those uh, voter turnout efforts are coming through the state and they become partisan and they become targeted and 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 that's where this whole thing goes sideways. And and again, one of those things that has made America unique throughout uh, our history uh, is that we have tried to maintain fair and free elections and, and, and integrity in our elections. Have we always lived up to it? No. Um, but have we have we really made, made an emphasis on this? Yes. And, you know, having Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook pour all this money into that really undermines it. Um, so we're going to we're, we're going to break here, take a quick break before we come back with our special guest, Larry Wilson. Really looking forward to this conversation, especially, you know, uh, for, for those of you who follow national news, uh, Ohio and Columbus in particular made uh, a lot of news uh, a few weeks ago because of the, the Micaiah Bryant uh, shooting, officer-involved shooting. Um, and, and really, how do we put that situation in context and just broadly the context uh, of the conversation uh, around race and law enforcement? So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on The Narrative. Center for Christian Virtue seeks the good of our neighbors by advocating for public policy that reflects the truth of the gospel. We empower people like you to have a voice in the culture on the most important political and cultural issues of the day. Through our public policy advocacy, grassroots activism, church ambassador network, Ohio Christian Education Network, and Christian Business Partnership, there are countless ways for you to get involved. Join the movement today by visiting ccv.org or by clicking the link in the show notes. That's ccv.org and click join the network. Stories are a way we relate to one another. It's hard to underestimate their importance. Wessler Media is here to help you preserve those stories that you hold dear. We'll produce a personal podcast, an audio scrapbook, that will preserve those memories for generations to come. Get in touch today. Call toll-free or text 1-833-38-STORY, 1-833-38-STORY, or visit wesslermedia.com. That's W-E-S-S-L-E-R-Media.com. Hey, we're back on the narrative. This is president of CCV, Aaron Bear, with uh, my good friend, David Mahan, policy director here. Uh, and we're continuing our volume on race uh, and, and really excited about the conversation we're about to have with retired police officer uh, Larry Wilson, who also runs a, a ministry called Protect the Faith, uh, an individual who's worked in, uh, in law enforcement for a number of years. Uh, and, but, but as we've been sort of prepping, getting ready to go here, uh, we, we, we just felt it, it's important, especially when we're diving into such an important topic uh, for such a time as this, the need to just start with a word of prayer. Uh, so we're going to invite the, the, the Spirit to, to be with us here in this conversation. So pray with us, Father. Uh, God, we thank you for your thank provision, you, Lord. Lord. You are our protector. You are our shield, Lord. Uh, and God, you, are, uh, you, you called your body of Christ to unity under you. Uh, so Father, as we engage in, in difficult conversations, we ask that your Spirit guides our conversation, that uh, it's, it's uplifting to you, uh, and that it uh, reaches the hearts and minds, Lord, even, even open up our hearts and minds to, to where your spirit would lead. Thank you for uh, for Officer Wilson, yes. uh, God, for for the, the life that he's led, for the impact that he's had. Uh, and God, we pray that through this conversation, Lord, people would uh, just get a little more glimpse of your glory and yes, your goodness. God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, Larry, I'm so thankful for you joining us. Um, you you don't know me, but I know you. Uh, mutual friend, uh, Ruth Edmonds. And uh, I, I saw you. I was actually participating in a Zoom meeting. I was pretty much ghosting it. But, uh, you know, you know, I had my mute on. You know how we do. I had my mute on. And, and I'm like, man, I, I was saying stuff. And I'm like, man, <laughs> man that's crazy. Like, man, how could you? Pop? And, and when you spoke up, uh, you were saying everything I wanted to say. Uh, but I wasn't really part of the, the team. So uh, I couldn't. But, man, I just want to say thank you for your stance in that particular meeting. And ever since then, I said, Ruth, I got to get this brother's number. And uh, one day led to, to two days and a month later, and I still didn't. So I'm glad to have this opportunity. W would you please just give our audience a little background of, uh, you know, where you come from, what you're doing now, what you've done in the past? Sure. And I'll be brief about it because, yeah. you know, the, the issues are the reason that we're here and, and things that the, the people need to hear that the Lord wants us to speak to them. But, um, you know, basically, I guess I can say I, I went to Bexley High School. Um, I think I'm a good person to talk about these things, you know, growing up in, quote, a white school that just happened to be, I think, about 60 percent Jewish or so at the time. So even from early on, you know, I, I kind of got a little bit of an education in differences of people, mm. um, you know, with my family being from the deep south, uh, poorly educated, but yet a strong family bond that believed in the Lord and taught me that way. So, you know, that was just, a, it was a, it was a good upbringing. At least I had a father in the home and someone that made sure that um, as a young man, I was forced to do what I, I was supposed to do, that's not right. what I wanted to do, um, which is a big problem nowadays, but that's a whole nother story. Um, um, excelled in sports. Don't want to talk a lot about that. Played D1 sports, dabbled in the pros for a bit in time. And then since that time, uh, did a little coaching, then uh, joined the Columbus Division of Police, had a great career, did all kinds of things. I mean, you just pretty much while I was all over the place, you know, everything from patrol to uh, tactical units to uh, uh, strategic response bureaus where I spent the last 16 years. Um, so I got a chance to see uh, just a lot of things. I was on the uh, contract negotiation team twice. So I got a chance to see that how that whole mechanism worked. Um, so, you know, I, do I know it all? Absolutely not. But I think I've got a pretty clear view of, you know, why things work the way they work. I will say when I played sports, you know, I went down to Texas, got to know the Hispanic community very well. Also spent time in college out in Western Washington, got to know a number of uh, Lummi Indians and uh, various others. And then when I played ball, dabbling overseas a bit, you get when you get a chance to travel across the land, um, you get to just see that as an old R&B song once said, all around the world, same old song. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You, you know, <laughs> it, it just, it's its really true. I mean, people, and I will tell you this. These young, um, these young guys like Aaron, they don't know nothing about that, Larry. So. <laughs> you can educate him when we're off air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Aaron, have you heard of Frankie Beverly? Yeah. What? Okay, well, I, I just, I asked, okay, all right, well, no, let's just say. No, don't ask me to quote no, anything, I heard of them, I heard, I heard lots of names, but don't ask Frankie me. Beverly and Mays. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me just say that Frankie Beverly said it the way Paul put it in the Bible. Paul said he's learned to live a base and a bound, and uh, Frankie Beverly, you know, when he came out and made that song, Joy and Pain, Sunshine and Rain, <laughs> he said it the same way, and I found all over the world, people are experiencing that same thing, but here's what I've learned, us as the body of Christ, 
should be an example how we navigate through each one of those circumstances. Right. Amen. You know, we, we've been talking about uh, in, in this particular volume, Larry, we've been talking about race, you know, race mm -hmm. as it pertains to different issues. Um, and uh, it, it's sad that everything is now viewed through a racial filter. Uh, perfect example is really how I first heard you, you know, when, when um, the George Floyd uh, verdict came out, uh, uh, maybe that was it the next same day, day or same, same day. day. Same yeah. Day. Uh, yeah. Micaiah Bryant. We had that case uh, where, where she was killed um, uh, by, by an officer and immediately everybody jumped on from LeBron James to, you know, and it, and it was it was it was contextualized as a racial thing. I think I heard initially uh, when I asked my, even when I asked my daughter, uh, uh, you know, how did you hear, what is your perception of what happened? Well, there was a cop, a white cop gunned down an un unarmed young lady again. That's what she heard. Uh, and, and then LeBron came out with a bunch of stuff. So everything seems to get contextualized in, into this racial uh, 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 picture. And, and it's like, even though it doesn't have to be that way. And so I, you spoke very eloquently to um, some of the details of the case. And I'm so thankful that the department actually put out the footage as quickly as they did, because the whole narrative was being played out from people who weren't even in the same state. And thankfully we had the video footage, but, but what was your perception of all of that? First of all, I want to touch off on two things very quickly. First of all, um, we need to get out of that race notion. There is but one race. That's first and foremost. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says so. Um, there's different ethnic groups, but there's but one race. And we right. talk about even couples being interracial. That denotes someone's not human. So, I mean, that, I mean, that, uh, come on. I mean, that's that Darwinism, all that madness that, that people are caught up in. So I think we really need to clarify even how we speak these things nowadays and not get into this media driven narrative. And you guys, it's a whole nother segment that I hope that you do sometimes well, really maybe. talking about the damage might, that the media is yeah. doing. We might delay that one. Cause that would mean he's my brother and <laughs> I'm not willing to go there with you, Larry. So just, <laughs> we talking about Makai. <laughs> <laughs> but, over here. So good. So going in, going into that, you know, I mean, I, but I just wanted to lay that foundation first. Right. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, we are brothers and sisters by the blood of Christ. That's what that's we're right, told man. first yeah. before anything else. That's so right, if yeah. we would just remember that um, and just know where it comes from, understand that there's an agenda here. And unfortunately, we're buying into it. And unfortunately, even our leaders that should know better are buying into mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. And I remember, you you know, you can go all the way back as far as the, you know, the the hands up, don't shoot way back there. This this narrative was being driven. And I would tell you, I mean, that guy did nothing wrong. Darren Wilson was his name. I would have shot that guy long before Darren Wilson did. I mean, for crying out loud, he had a broken orbital bone. His leg was smashed into the car. All those things before he shot. I mean, so, you know, I mean, but yet and still is racial. You got people like LeBron James wearing hands up, don't shoot. When that never happened, it never happened at all. Right. So, you know, this is part of the part of the problem is that there's so many lies and so many misunderstandings about what's happening. Somehow we have to get the truth out every time. And we need to be maybe CCV or even my group basic brothers and sisters in Christ are two sources that might just be able to say, okay, this is what happened today. Here's the truth right. for any yeah. Christian that wants to hear the truth. Here's where you go to, to learn it, not the lies over there. And see, that, so, that's but, what you, that's what you did so well. Um, you know, there were folks talking about 
Um, you know, he could have tased her. Um, you know, could have shot her in the leg. He could have shot her in the leg. He escalated too fast. And, um, and let me before real quick, just for folks who, who might not be familiar, the what, what happened in the Micaiah Bryant situation was there was a a fight going on between two two or three young ladies, uh, Micaiah Bryant being one of them. Uh, and the police got called. Uh, an officer pulled up, and as soon as he gets out of the car, he sees Micaiah chasing down another uh, young woman. And uh, literally in the video, you see Micaiah cocking back her arm with a knife in her hand to stab uh, another young woman. She falls back, uh, and she, who's fallen backwards. Uh, and uh, and the the officer shoots uh, immediately to save the the girl's life, who is about to be stabbed. Um, and and unfortunately, Micaiah died as a result of the of the shooting. Um, but the officer, you know, it, it was a, a really about a 20 second from the time he parked to the time 11 seconds, 11 seconds. But from the time he parked to the time he, he fired uh, because of how quickly things were going and, and, yeah. and how, how, how violent things had become. So so sorry. Go ahead. You were saying no, 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 no. That's a good backdrop. And I'm going to Aaron, I'm going to go even further than that. Prior to his arrival, um, you know, if you if you have the ability, you probably do to pull these tapes because some people are not going to believe it unless they hear it. But the, the phone call, the dispatcher told the officer that they got the call prior to him even getting there, that the person had already threatened to kill everybody in the house with a butcher knife. So now, as an officer, now, you got to remember, I've been gone for five years. Could there be some subtle changes? There could be. I'm telling you, based upon my training, and I don't think it's changed much, um, it should be pretty much the same. Based upon that, it's obviously a two-officer run. When you show up to something like this, deadly force is automatically the circumstances you're walking into. That means that when I get out of the car, my weapon is already pointed at no one. No, absolutely not. Pointed at no one. But my 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 weapon is ready at hand because at any time I may need to defend my life or someone else's. So that officer was correct in doing that. A taser would have done no good right there in a deadly force situation immediately. Now he may have been able to see, okay, I can now put it away safely and I can go to something else. But when you're told you're going into a situation where a person is already threatening to kill, this is a deadly force run. So, and this is exactly what happened when he showed up. What does he see within a matter of seconds? He sees now, I want to address this. I'm not going to mention any names. I don't even know some of the names, but when we have leaders that throw people off base, this kind of bothers me. We had a prominent leader that requested that we refer to that woman that did the plunging as a baby. Baby, I remember that. Saying that this is one of our babies. We, I want you to refer to this person as a baby. These cops are killing our babies. Okay, this is, I think she was 17, but over a 200-pound 17-year-old female. That's hardly a baby. So quit these false narratives. Just, just Let's just tell the truth. And what about and the, the other baby that was saved? Exactly right. I mean, that officer's a hero to them. So I want to go to, you know, what actually happened. This officer drives up and, you know, like you said, we had people saying, well, he should have tased her. It should have shot her in the leg or he could have, if it would have been a white girl, he would have used a club. Okay. First of all, if you look at the distance away, even if he was Usain Bolt, he couldn't have gotten there in time to to pull to stop that girl by using some kind of hand to hand he couldn't have maced because number one her face would have had to be turned he would have had to have the speed of the human flash to get over there in time to do it which is a marvel character is not possible um there's no way that he could have tased from that point because even a follow-through with the knife wouldn't have stopped that it wouldn't even had time to deploy a taser so none of these things are even possible. And then when you talk about trying to shoot someone in the arm or the leg, 
you have to understand this. The division of police, I don't know how many times they qualify now, but it used to be two to three times a year. You would have to qualify and show that you could shoot on target in a reasonable group to qualify. Okay. That being said, in a stress situation where it's on, people are either shooting at you, there's moving targets, you're moving, you're breathing heavy. Um, the statistics used to be when I looked into them, it's going back probably seven, eight years. Uh, on average, over 60% of officers' shots miss in the average shooting distance of 15 feet or less. Wow. Over 60% of our shots miss, mm. even at that distance. Now, when you're sitting on range within a sterile, sterile situation, you're going to shoot perfect on target. But understand this, from three or four feet away, as I mentioned to the people on that, on that interview, it, it's not unreasonable to say that in, with nerves going, with things moving, you're, you're going to have a little nerves and a little right. handshake. It's very reasonable to say you could be off an eighth of an inch because of handshake. That, that's just well within reason. Right. Well, from three, three feet away, four feet away, if you're off an eighth of an inch, that means your shot off target is probably going to be about eight to ten inches. If you move back to 15 to 20 feet and you're off one eighth of an inch, you're going to miss the entire body right. by about a foot. Just if you just look at the trajectory, there's no possible way you could try to shoot a, a person in an arm or a leg. You better try to shoot center mass and hope that you get that shot clear. And then at that, so many people are thinking about television. You shoot someone right. and they just fall down clean. That doesn't happen. I've seen people shot five, six, seven times, and they still stab someone because they have not been hit in a vital area. So they say, well, why do police shoot so many times? You shoot to eliminate the threat. If the threat is still existing, you're not done. And who would be? Because that person could take your life too. Now, if there are two or three officers, well, am I going to wait to see if you shoot? Or are you going to wait to see if I, of course not. I'm going to act for me. So that's why sometimes there's, each officer may shoot three, four, five times. Well, how many shots is that in a person? Right. And many times these people still live. So it, it's not like television. And I think that's what needs to be clear. There needs to be explanation and understanding to the general public that they just don't know. And, and to me, just looking looking at the situation, and we did just have, um, uh, you know, our Attorney General, general Dave Yost um, address uh, this case yesterday, I believe yeah, it was. Yesterday, yeah. Um, and, um, but he did, the officer did, um, exhibit great restraint, you know, again, 11 seconds, you know, he gets out the car, but before, um, the girl got stabbed, Micaiah tried to, uh, stab another young lady. She, she backed up, fell to the ground. Micaiah goes on to the, to the girl that, that actually, uh, you know, she was trying to stab again the second time. And there was a 40 some year old man kicks the girl in the head. Yes, yes. And and the officer did not shoot that man. Right. Okay, but to what your point is now, having just saw that and now having to shift his attention to the greater threat, you got a woman getting her head kicked by a grown man and he has to make a decision. Do I deal with this threat or do I look at the next threat, which looking now back at the situation was the greater threat? Uh, I thought that's a whole lot going on. Um, and and, he, and I think he saved that young lady's life. Have you ever heard uh, any any word from the mother of the the, the girl that was uh, that was saved? I have not, and I was hoping that you would be able to tell me that. Uh, um, I haven't heard anything. I, I would like 
to think that they would be seeing that officer as a hero right because he acted properly and he saved their daughter's life and i would like to think that they would have acknowledged that well larry you keep calling this man a hero uh why couldn't he have just used his taser he had a taser right there on his belt you know he's trained for that right well as i explained earlier if from 30 feet away 20 feet away i don't know the exact distance i've not seen a police report but as I said, you would have to have the speed of the human flash, which is a Marvel character, to close in that kind of ground that fast to get close enough to, to deploy your taser. And particularly, both barbs have to stick. With the taser, you've got both barbs have to hit and they have to go into the skin in order for it to work. Tell me you're going to be able to take that kind of a chance when you already are seeing a knife, a butcher knife. Now, this is not just a small pocket knife. You got a butcher knife that could actually go through that child's head yeah, out one side into the other that she's got drawn back in the midst of getting ready to plunge forward. What else could you possibly do in a matter of a millisecond to right, stop right. that from happening? There is no other way of force, no mace that could travel that far, no taser that could do it and have that stopped right there. There's nothing else that could have happened. So, Larry, I, I want to, I want to start then, then even back up further here and go, go sort of macro level here, which is, what is the internally in police departments, you know, the, 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 the narrative that's coming out of a lot of the media, the narrative that's coming out of the, the defund the police movement, uh, is that officers literally like it, it feels like they're saying officers are waking up thinking, how am I going to go shoot a black kid today? Uh, what is the what's what's the conversation in the police forces today around racial issues as as they as the media describes it? What's the conversation around these issues today and and, and how they should be handled? I don't know if I can answer that totally accurately for you. I can just tell you, remembering that it's been about five years since I've been gone, but some of the same things were being said then right. yeah. that are being said now. Um, it's, it, we were just seeing the beginning of it there. Now it's taken on a whole new monster of its own. But I will tell you this, um, every officer's experienced different things, different levels of, um, I hate to even use the term racism, and particularly I will never use the term systemic because I don't believe in it. I, I, I think that that's, that's a, something else is, uh, again, agenda driven. But um, put it this way i can count on probably one hand the number of overt instances where i've seen someone potentially act out in a way just because of someone's race mm -hmm. um officers don't get up and the majority of policemen are there they're doing their best to do a great job white or black it's a brotherhood we do look out for each other most guys are fair they will give people a fair shot. I've watched it. I've seen it happen. But guys, listen, you've been around this world as long as I have. You know that there are bad in every group. There's bad doctors, lawyers, TV personnel, uh, teachers. There's bad in everyone. There's small percentages of bad people in any line of work you go into. Does that exist in a division of police? Of course so. But there are so many checks and balances within a division of police that is very hard to do it in an overt manner and not be detected. It's just, it's very difficult to get away with that. You've got everything that's looking at you. You've got all kinds of reporting agencies and uh, you know, 
it's just hard. It's, it's hard to get away. And I'm just telling you, I know the heart of officers and most of them, you don't make traffic stops based upon someone. You can't even see in the car when they're two blocks away who they are. <laughs> I've had them tell me, you just stop me because I'm black. I'm like, man, look at me. <laughs> you're black and I, I stopped you because you're black. Really? I couldn't see two blocks away what you are. No, I stopped you because of the behavior that you exhibited while driving. That's the reason. So, you know, no, I don't think a lot of that exists. I, again, I think it's media driven. Does it happen sometimes? Of course. It's happened to me personally. Um, you know, I'm not going to mention names or anything like that, but there's been a couple of times in my life that I had issues happen to me specifically because I was black. Yeah, so I, I think I think that's what is part of the problem, in, in my opinion, is that the reason why, you know, I remember, you know, back when, when COVID was just getting um, fired up, uh, you know, and folks, Antifa was talking about defunding the police. And I, I had legitimate conversations with, uh, you know, good friends of mine like oh nobody's talking about defunding police that's just some fringe now you know down the line we see that you know police departments are are hemorrhaging good officers that uh they're having dewine was even talking about here in the state of ohio uh that, that we're having a hard time recruiting officers there's more than one way to defund the police department um and, and we're seeing this all over all over the country but but i think the the appeal to some of these um, you know, divisive messages that we're hearing is that people, like you said, we have experienced things. I mean, I, in high school, I had a gun held to my head uh, by a police officer. We didn't even have shoes on. We were going across the street that the, literally the cul-de-sac uh, to, to scare some folks, friends of ours that were sleeping in a tent and, uh, and, and freeze, you know, we, we stop, I get to the ground and there's a gun to my head, literally two of the three of us are sitting on the ground. One of us ran two of us with no shoes. Uh, one of them was crying. And for an hour, we're, you know, we're sitting in the back of a cop car and, and there's two other guys in another car who clearly cussing out the cops. Clearly, that's who they're looking for. They're looking for three people. You got right. four in the car. One is crying and two don't have shoes on. Right. right? So, so we all have these stories. My, my, I was in a vehicle with my mother uh, in Gallipolis, Ohio. And uh, before we, we even got in the car, they said, now you got to be careful down here. Right. And um, we, uh, you know, a cop comes out behind us and he hits his horn. As, -na 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 -na. I remember that. I, I, oh, wow. I was yeah. in that same town when I first started speaking in, in assemblies and, right. uh, and and had a car follow me again as I as I walked to the school uh, where I was speaking. I actually said it in the classroom uh, that this happened. And the teacher looked at me just as sternly as he wanted to. And he said, what kind of car were you driving? So these experiences happen. The, the, is it systemic though? Is, is, it, is it every cop is, is trying to, uh, you know, gun down black Americans? It's, it's ex one extreme or the other. Um, either we're with BLM 100% or, or we're not with, with them 100%. So, I mean, from, from your perspective, you've seen bad apples. You've seen mostly, you know, good actors. Uh, what is the answer? Like, how do we, for the average person in the neighborhood, and I know you do great work with kids in schools. We'll talk about that here in a minute. What is the answer at the grassroots level um, to reconnect law enforcement uh, to, to the people that they serve, you know, young and old, so we can cut through some of this divisive uh, messaging? There is no quick answer. Okay. That's just, let's just cut to the chase. Yeah. There is no quick answer. There's no quick fix. This has been happening. has been going on for a long time. Um, I, let me just 
to go back to Aaron started this whole segment out in a word of prayer, asking the Lord to have his way and his understanding, knowing that this is a Christian representation of the truth. That being said, I like the way Bishop Jackson on American Family Radio put it. It's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Amen. That, that, that's really what it is. You know, I mean, you, you, right now, this just happens to be happening here, but you guys know your history, I'm sure. Slavery, sin, racism has been around since the dawn of time. Africans made slaves of their own. So did Indians. Black people even had white slaves right here in the United States. Where are reparations going to stop? There's no such thing. Stop it. You know, I mean, where, where are we going to end up with that? So first of all, we got to really realize what's really going on here. What's the culprit? You know, it's the sin nature of man. And, and until we are really ready to identify that, and you know, those of us that are faith-based understand that Christ is the answer to all of that. But nobody wants to talk about that. They want to put money in programs. They want to put money in this, that, and the other. But until the broken sin nature of people are fixed, that's, there's, that's not going to change. You're just putting yeah. band-aids on problems. Now, um, you know, I, I think the first thing when you talk about this defunding stuff, I also really want to, I'm going to put a plug in here, whether I should say it or not, I'm going to say it because it's true. I hope that people remember that they really remember any leader that thinks that it's a good idea to take away the charge to protect society, to defund them, to take money away from them, to throw them under the bus should never be elected again. Matter of fact, he should be removed. And Amen. anybody in any one of these cities that are doing anything like that, the people, I hope they don't forget it. And that person should never see leadership again. I just hope that that happens. And I hope that there are pastors, particularly black pastors that will hear this and say, that man is speaking what thus saith the Lord. <laughs> and we need to make it so. Instead yeah, of hiding, instead of cowering, instead of being cowardice, right. just right. do what should be done. Yeah. No, I meant well. No, it, it's funny what, what you were saying uh, before, Larry, about uh, you know, not a skin problem; it's a sin problem. You know, th this is one of those things we get this question at CCV all the time, whether it's on the the you know the the racial issues or on the the gender issues or on immigration or drug addiction or family breakdown or all these types of things. Pastors or folks will reach out. You know, how how are we supposed to talk about this? What are we supposed to do? And, and I feel like we just way overcomplicate so many things where it's just, just start with Jesus. We were really just talking about this at lunch. Just, just start with Jesus and, and yeah. then work backwards from there. But, but don't, we, 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 for some reason, we just think that it's not sufficient uh, for, and, and a lot of times I think what that, what that exposes in us is, is a, a lack of, a lack of depth of what it means to start with Jesus, a lack of, a lack of understanding of, of how big that is. To start with Jesus, we think we're just like, yeah, you know, some folks might just see that as, as throwing a, a Band-Aid or just giving the, the Sunday school answer. No, no, no. That is a, a robust and massive. But but when we when we go away from there and we start looking and say, well, Jesus isn't sufficient to answer this problem. We need to come up with some some innovative and, yeah. and different idea on how to address the, the issue, uh, especially from a, a church and pastoral standpoint. Um, we, 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 we're going to inevitably end up in a place of failure because nothing else is going to resolve it. Aaron, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I think a lot of, and this may be a segue into what, um, we're talking about with the schools and things. Education yeah. is a large part of it, but like you said, it's, some of this is real simple. Yeah. 
you know, let's just tell the truth. You know, going back over the last five, six years or, or so when these when these things just consistently got worse and more and more shootings and more, let's look at the common denominator of this. Every single one of these situations, George Floyd's death was, uh, I mean, that, that, how long that man was knelt on his uh, on his neck, that, that shouldn't have happened. That's Everybody right. can look at that and see what that 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 shouldn't have happened that way. But but let's look at the let's look at go back a little further. If George Floyd was not involved in criminal activity high as a kite, we wouldn't be having this conversation. If he would have just done what they told him to do, if he would have followed directions from law enforcement, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You'll go back and look at all these circumstances way back to Darren Wilson and I can't breathe and all these situations. So what you got to ask yourself, why are these individuals involved in criminal activity to the point where law enforcement involvement has to be in the first place? Why is that? Um, Aaron, I'd like to give you some, these are some older statistics. So um, you might have some of your people to, but I got to give them to you because it's all I know. Um, you may have some of your people check the research now to just see if the numbers have changed much. I doubt it, but I'm just going to throw this out here. And I'd like to ask you a question back and maybe somebody that's hearing some of this for the first time. Um, right now, I believe we're at the time in the city of Columbus, I believe that the Black population was right around 20%. It fluctuates. I've heard it as high as 25. I've heard it as low as 19. You guys may have a better idea right now. But somewhere around 20 is a good number. Is that about yeah, no, right? I know uh, statewide it's about 12%. So that would probably make sense to be about 20% plus. In, 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 in Columbus, Columbus, somewhere around that. Okay. Yeah. Well, at the time we were doing these teachings in, in these classes, that being said, in the city of Columbus, um, over 67%, if I remember right, of all the arrests in the city of Columbus were on African-American males between 16 and 25. I, and, and just think about that. The percentage of African-American males in that age group is so low, yet you're saying they are involved in almost 70% of all the arrests. But here you go. At the time, you looked at Whitehall, and, and there was only about 12% of Blacks in Whitehall. The arrest rate was the same. Deeper still, when you go into Pickerington, where at the time I think we were less than 3% in Pickerington, yet nearly 70% of the arrests there, African-American male, between 16 and 25. And right about then, someone would stand up and see that proves it. Y'all are picking on our babies. And that's when I would say, well, ma'am, sir, it was the same for me. Do you think I'm picking on my own? So I would ask them the question, why is that? Are we just bad people? Are we the pit bulls of society? Are we just bad? Is that the answer? And I asked them, tell me, why is that? Why isn't it with Hispanics? Why isn't it with Asians? Why is it with other people groups? Why is it us? So I have some answers, but I want to throw that question back to one of you two. Why is it us? What? Well, I, I have some, I, you know, from my background of being in the schools 20 some years, I think that a lot of these issues come out of the home. And, um, you know, when you have almost 75 percent of young African-American kids uh, being raised in homes with only one parent. And again, I'm not I'm not coming against single mothers. I was raised by one. My grandmother helped. My grandfather helped. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with 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 a single mom in, in and of herself. But even when my mother, uh, you know, was seeing me and you know raising up my kids, she said, you know, she wanted her grandkids to have two parents even though she was a single yeah. mom. And, and a lot of issues tend to stem from that, from incarceration to, uh, to academic performance, the whole nine. 
Well, you know what? You hit the nail on the head and most people don't get it like that. I remember, I'm trying to remember the name of the study, but it's been too many years. But what it revealed is that when a male child is born into that environment, and at the time it was 72% of black children were born in single parent, mother only households. About the the statistics today. showed, it was like a 37 year study that showed when a child was born in that environment, he has an 80% chance of lifelong poverty, a 70% chance of not graduating and a 60% chance of incarceration. I'm reminded of a, um, a video clip that I saw. You may find this interesting. Um, it was a bunch of uh, juvenile elephants over in Africa, actually just two of them. And you're like, what do elephants have to do with this? I'm familiar with I will, I will tell you quickly. They were tearing up the villages, uh, wrecking people's houses, uh, humping on female elephants out of season, trying to hump on female rhinoceros, trying to breed with them just completely just acting up and the, the people are like this what what is going on here this has never happened well after they got to the bottom of it and during their investigation they come to find out the reason that these juvenile elephants which represent um 16 17 year old like what boys would be the the problem was is that poachers had taken out the alpha males so there was no alpha male around, number one, to keep them in check. No, you're not going to act like that. I'll stop you. Two, not to demonstrate what is a young juvenile male elephant supposed to act like. What is appropriate behavior? So when you don't have that, there's only two things you can do. Put them down or put them away someplace where they can't do damage. So what does that say for our society? You either got to put them down or put them away. Now, I'm not advocating killing people. I'm certainly not saying that, but I'm saying when you look at that example, what choices do you have? You can't let it run amok in society or you'll have no society. So, but now we got to go to the reason for that. And this is not the time or the place, but the answer comes from social services, what they've done, the breeding of keeping single mothers by themselves, all these policies set up for single parents to even exist in the first place, the elimination of, of morality and holding that code and holding people's standards to that code leads to all of this foolishness. And again, where does it come from? The lack of Christ-centeredness in the home. We always are gonna go right back to there. So again, until we fix that problem, you can't possibly expect to stop any of this. No, I mean, I mean, that was the thing that jumped out at me. I remember the first time I saw Black Lives Matter, uh, their their old website before they they had the, they they got caught up in it. <laughs> they changed right. Uh, they changed their website, but but the you know on the one hand they were saying they wanted to oppose police violence and 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 stop the incarceration of young black men and and address this issue. Uh, but then in their in their very sort of foundational uh, documents, their foundational yeah. statements of you know <laughs> statements of faith in many ways. It was they want to destroy the nuclear family. Like, they want to end organized religion. They want to, you know, they, they, they oppose Christianity. So all, all of the things that would actually deal, address the problem that they say they care about, yes. they're trying to, uh, you know, undermine and te tear apart. And, and they're, they're so ill-equipped uh, to, to actually, they, they're, they're, it's impossible for them to actually address in a meaningful way the very issue they're saying they care about, which, they which they're it, which takes us do, you know, we got about five minutes left here, Larry, that, that sort of takes us to the, the, so what do we do then? You know, what, what are, what are some practical things today? You know, we, we got a lot of pastors that listen to this, a lot of folks that listen to, to the narrative that, that are, are, are very much concerned about these issues uh, and are, are looking at the divide, uh, especially today over and, and the attack on law enforcement 
um, and, and, and are asking, so what, do we, what can we do that's meaningful to help, help bridge this gap uh, right now? Uh, this th- is just, com- just my, my, my humble opinions and thoughts on this is just, you know, f- first of all, information. You mentioned the pastors. They have to know the truth. Listen, I think unless he's out of his mind, if a pastor knew what Black Lives Matters actually stood for, there would have been no donation whatsoever. They would have been calling for the tearing down of that organization. But yet instead, because they were unaware of who they really were, they didn't know what was really going on. You had black pastors all over this nation filtering millions of dollars into Black Lives Matters, the very entity that's going against what you say you believe in. So I think education is the first place. And really, I believe there needs to be a central or more centralized entities that they can go for to get their truth. You're not going to get your truth by CNN. You're not going to get your truth on normal media. It's not going to happen. They are going to lie to you, period. You cannot believe any of that. So, you know, I think, you know, Aaron, you guys do a great job in in dealing and you have a great liaison with your group to area pastors, particularly black pastors, um, to just really maybe formulate something that's going to help them understand what's really going on here. You know, and if you don't know, have some of your people assigned to come to us and we'll give you some answers based upon scripture, not the media that's based upon lies. Then you pastor, look at this and use your discernment and you figure out what is the truth. And then without having a spirit of fear, tell the truth in your pulpit without worrying about who's going to leave and who's not going to like hearing the truth. I love it. Larry, you, you, um, you mentioned something offline. Um, We've been into some of the same schools uh, with some with solutions, you know, I've, I've been in Walnut Ridge for years. One of my favorite schools I ever taught in was Walnut Ridge. And, and you were mentioning you you had some experience going into schools. Uh, what, explain that a little bit to our, our, our listeners. OK, I'll try to simplify it because I know we're starting to run out of time. Um, back at the time, um, Fraternal Order Police President Jason Pappas came to myself and Tony Lowry and asked what we could do about this situation at the time. Uh, I don't know, it was a really highly acclaimed recruit from Ohio State, uh, from Florida to Ohio State, got caught up in something and got into a squabble with police and ended up losing a scholarship, went to jail. And Jim Gilbert at the time, uh, no, it wasn't. Jason. Jason's one that really, really got it going, but it was Jim Gilbert at the time that started it. Um, Larry, what can we do to combat this? And me and a couple of officers sat down, white and black officers, and this is something else I want to mention. This is not just a black thing. This is is mankind. You're not going to solve it by trying to isolate yourselves. Um, Just like slavery wasn't solved, but black people didn't arm themselves and free themselves from slavery. If there wasn't for good white men and women, strong Christian people, then what were we going to do by ourselves? The same thing exists today. There are strong white men and white women and every other race that are Christians that need to fight this battle. This is a battle against the enemy. And we can't divide ourselves by a so-called race and think we're going to win this thing. That's a loss right there. Um, But uh, how much time do I have, Aaron? Uh, We we got probably another uh, minute or two here. Okay, I'll try and go quickly. Um, what we did is we just, we developed a set of scenarios. We went around to the schools and we started out with Walnut Ridge High School students um, and we, we created some live scenarios, um, police stops, shooting situations, human trafficking situations, human trafficking situations, uh, all manners of things that kids would run into, particularly inner city kids. How do you handle yourself during police interaction? 
And this thing drew such attention. I mean, we even had parents that said, I had no idea how to do something. I was doing the wrong things myself. I didn't know what, how this looked to a cop. And when I turned around, and let me just tell you a quick story as we end this. We started this thing out with these four kids and four cops. Two cops were white, both bald. And I remember to this day that when we first drove up and we first started this, the black kids looked at these cops and after a while, I'm like, you guys, what's wrong with it? He goes, them. And I'm like, what do you mean, them? Those white cops, man. That's the same ones that roll around every day with their windows up looking like they don't like us and we don't like them. And I'm like, well, you just don't know them. You just don't understand what. So let me jump forward. We got to talking and then we changed. We did a role play. We have mock weapons that make the same sounds we call them simunitions but they don't shoot projectiles obviously we put them in a holster we put them around those guys we put the police cap on them and we got in the car and we acted like they acted we turned up the music we put our hoodies up and when they and we said you guys do the traffic stop on us in the parking lot at walnut ridge and they drove up on us and when the kid walked up to the car the music was up and i saw him and i reached down to get my wallet and they both shot me <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, what did you, we didn't know what you were getting. And, uh, <laughs> that broke the ice right there. It just, they said, man, we didn't know what y'all were doing. I'm like, are you starting to understand this now? And they both, they all looked at each other and said, man, that's whack, they were saying. For the next couple years, they understood and they went around with us and helping us create scenarios and getting them right. And when you can go into high schools, like Doc West did out there at, uh, at Independence, he had the entire school come into the auditorium. And we did scenario after scenario for them this is what happens. This is from, and then they got a chance to see OSP, Franklin County Sheriff, Columbus, all together, and were able to question and ask them questions right then and there, right up front, close and personal. These kind of things is what it takes to get some understanding. They can see us as people, not the enemy. And they get to understand, okay, now I see why y'all do that. I would have done the same thing. But until you get that kind of thing going, it's always going to be us against them. Yeah, and, and all I get and gain understanding. I, I love right. it. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Narrative presented by CCB and produced by Wessler Media. If you enjoyed breaking through the false narratives and political spin of today on race and policing with our guest, Larry Wilson, don't forget to subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. We're here, your hosts, Aaron Bear and David Mahan, and can't wait to see you next time here on The Narrative.